once again, and thank you for joining me, whether you've been here before or not. Uh, for those who have, I keep forgetting to mention in these things that my Facebook page is actually up and running. Uh, so, or maybe not. I don't know. I might not. Um, I think the last one, maybe I didn't. Anyway, uh, go check that out if you're interested. Um, I'm trying out something a little different today with regards to the format that I use. Um, generally I do the history first and then go off of that, but I'm trying something a little bit different. My dog is crying because he wants his bottle, which I took away. <laughs> like a plastic bottle, he's not a baby. He's a puppy, but yeah, plastic bottle that he can chew and make lots of noise on. Um, uh, so we are gonna start with a little story about, um, the place that we're talking about. And now he's drinking water. I'll never get a podcast with just like regular no sound sound. Oh well. So this story is just titled Lily. And I'll give you the site afterwards. In all of her many years as a paranormal investigator, rarely did Sandra had Sandra been as excited as she was prowling the dark, dank corridors of the long-abandoned Trans-Alany Lunatic Asylum. In particular, she was intrigued by the anecdotes about a spirit that was said to haunt the institution, that of Lily, a little ghost who stole sweets. Lily was, so the story went, the name given to a child born to an inmate in 1863. Her mother, Gladys Ravensfield, was an unfortunate casualty of the Civil War. Abandoned by her husband, Gladys was accosted in her home by a passing pack of soldiers who unleashed their pent-up rage and lusts upon her again and again. Madness was her only refuge from the unspeakable assault. And so she found herself in the asylum where, as her belly swelled with the fruit of some unknown soldier's seed, she rocked in a wide-eyed silence, blinded by rushing visions of murder upon that pack of men. When Lily was born, she was quickly taken by the hospital staff, but the child arrived only a few hours. What fascinated Sandra about this story is that the ghost often reported there was that of a little girl, not a newborn infant. It was as if Lily's spirit had grown to the age of three and then stopped at that age forever to haunt the hospital. Other ghost hunters testified that Lily seemed to like sweets. Whenever they heard her echoed giggles or sensed her presence, they would discover that candy bars or other sweet snacks would mysteriously go missing. As Sandra sat alone in the dark stillness of Gladys Ravensfield's room, she stared intently at the candy she brought for Lily, and it placed on an old table, but they remained untouched. She thought she, she thought she heard a fleeting giggle. An hour passed, perhaps two. Sandra slowly began to rock back and forth as visions of blood and violence and murder rushed through her mind, her thoughts. She wanted desperately to act them out. Sandra's mind was no longer her own. It was as if every drop of sweetness had been stolen from her. And that was from uh, thoughtco.com. Um, and then you can find that in Lily the Little Asylum Ghost. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, uh, I want to say 
Sorry, I know I say sorry a lot, but my birds are loud and my dog is crying because he's the best. Um, yeah, so that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> now on to the next part. And now as we always do, or I always do, sometimes I talk in third person, who knows why. Um, I'm covering, like from the story, you know I'm covering the Trans Alany Asylum. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, um, but it's how I will be pronouncing it because I don't know how else to do that. Um, yeah, so I'm sorry if that's not the actual pronunciation, um, but you'll just have to live with it. Um, uh, as always, this is just the quick little blurb about the place. Um, yeah. So it's thought to be one of the most haunted places in America, as is apparently everywhere. And when it was open, it was horrible. Known for overcrowding, horrible living conditions, and brutal treatment, which are now attributed to its supposed hauntings. Uh, see? I can do short. Not really. Because um, there's another thing I want to add. Um, which is... Uh, an People were killed here, uh, people committed suicide here, so a lot of negative energy. There was actually one nurse who was killed and then was just missing for two months before being found uh, decaying in a stairwell, if that report is in fact true. So not a good place to be. The trans Alany Lunatic Asylum, or the Western State Hospital, it kind of switched names for a short period, was a mental hospital made for those with mental illness, and was open from 1894 to 94, 1994, I always forget because I'm crossing like, hundreds of years here that I need to actually say 1994 um it was a forced closure due to patient neglect or poor living conditions um and it was built from 1858 to 1881 and was meant to only house about 250 people which was not the case later on as it soon gained about 2400 new admittance Admittees? I don't know. Let's go with admittance because it sounds like a better word. It is also a monument because of the Civil War. I'm not sure why. And then I have an add-on here, which is... I think it was used as a hospital during the Civil War. Uh, but then again, I'm not sure for which side because I'm Canadian and we don't really learn about the Civil War at all. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> After the closing, a museum for the Civil War was opened, but closed, I believe, in 2004 due to code violations. But I still don't know if it is uh, like a Civil War mon monument. I would assume so, unless it was the South that was fighting? I'm not sure. Um, and those... <laughs> I'm sorry. 
Yeah, it just mentioned in several sources that the hospital was known for asking or, or for taking in undesirables and those with uh, laughable admittance needs, as well as poor treatment of patients and poor methods of help for the people who actually had illnesses. The disease is attributed to those admitted to the hospital from its opening in 1864 through 1880 were varied, with the most common being 304 patients with chronic dementia, 254 with acute mania, 225 with melancholia, and 165 with chronic mania. What's the difference between acute and chronic? There's still mania, and in your acute mania, you would probably still get it chronically. Whatever. Listing, listings uh, were given of the supposed supposed causes of the diseases, and they were labeled supposed. Uh, they were labeled because I can speak. Uh, with the physicians at the time feeling a little unease with them, and. Yeah, they still were like, yeah, it's just, I just feel a little uneasy. They're mentally unstable. Uh, the most uncommon at Weston were the 359 who were not assigned a cause. And hereditary and epilepsy ranked next. 40 to 50 patients were attributed to each of the following causes. Intemperance, ill health, menstrual just menstrual, traumatic in injury, and masturbation. One honest man was listed with masturbation for 30 years. And that uh, little blurb with the masturbation was taken from Snopes.com. Because that was too good not to quote. Because, uh, <laughs> like, really... Who put someone in a mental institution for masturbation? Um, the attributes to these illnesses were reading, spending too much time studying the Bible, because that makes you crazy, apparently. Asthma. The marrying of your child. Other ways to become admitted were laziness, egotism, loss of love, female diseases, excitement, a cold snuff, greediness, and imagined female problems. So girls were fucked. And guys, so were you just because masturbation. <laughs> like all of those reasons. <laughs> like stated honestly, they, it would be shitty to be locked up because of a fake illness or being undesirable. Because um, they were people with real illnesses, which would have been either dangerous or not or particularly good for your own mental health to be locked around. Um, yeah. And you would be treated the same way, like with the same therapies. So, yeah, the, all, you were all treated the same unless you were unruly and then you got solitary, which is a great way to help people. 
Um, these people lived ho in horribly undignified conditions in c c crowded areas. My stutter worked up there. Uh, where they very well under these circumstances could have lost their minds. Like they were in uh, basically, if you think of a communal prison areas, um, not communal prison areas, but you know, um, prisons that don't have cells, they have, um, like bunk beds. These didn't have bunk beds. These had like cribs and like small beds and like you were like 30 people in like one tiny room. So it was not good. Um, so you could have very well have lost your mind in this kind of a situation. But um, that was just what they did because they thought that's what they were, were supposed to do. Which is not fine because, yeah. <laughs> also, there were their procedures because holes in the brains are always a good idea. Um, and they had no idea what they're doing. Like, we still have no idea what we're doing, but at least we do it in a less tortury way now. So hooray for that. Those methods of treatment, after my ramble, were what I'm sure everyone can imagine. Ice baths, which we know now do not work at all, unless, I mean, you have, like, a broken foot, then you can, like, give it a nice bath or, like, muscles that need to be, like, helped, then you have, a, like, a nice bath. But that's for, like, not a long time. Um, and that's not gonna help with mental health issues. Um, while unruly patients were just locked up. I also have a note in here saying that sophisticated diagnostic technology is an excuse for what they did then. Like we have, like saying that we have that now, which we don't. It's still trial and error. We just don't shock brains at full capacity now because anyone should get that. No, we do it safely and don't open the skull. <laughs> um, anywho, psychosurgery, they did that, which was shock therapy, which effed people up. Uh, it's called something different now, but it actually does work because they don't shock you as like high as they can. They start low and they're like, that's not a good idea to just start super high and wreck people. Uh, so it's not as barbaric as you might think. It's just the way they did it. Also lobotomies, which they don't do now. <laughs> and I would rather not have uh, like an ice pick through my eye into my brain so that they can like alter my mood disorder which is apparently what it was used for like they they used to just poke your jelly brain 
and try and change the mood disorder. Um, I'd rather not be a vegetable because that seems to be what happened. Uh, they also used heated bath as well as giving chemical concoctions. So not like the educated ones that we have now where we have a pharmacist who's like, yes, that goes together. And your doctor who's like got the big book of drugs and they're like, yes, these don't fuck each other up. Um, they did not do that. Um, they just did whatever they felt like. Uh, and if none of this worked, again, you were isolated and essentially given up on. Uh, it's reported that patients would be forced into straight jackets, remember those cribs I was talking about, and be in cribs, unable to do anything about themselves, about themselves, for themselves. Um... In 1952, one doctor performed 228 such as, well, like, lobotomies during a two-week period in West Virginia. The aptly named Operation Ice Pick became part of the grisly legacy of Dr. Walter Freeman, TALA's most notorious doctor. That quote from America's Most Haunted... Dot com and just another note on the people in straitjackets in the cribs like they weren't looked after they weren't cleaned up they weren't like they lived horrible horrible existences so this is just like these treatments these uh, both uh, to cure and the way that they treated patients was not good at all. Now we're moving on to activity and I'm starting to get stuffed up. I don't know why. Um, the activity is supposed to be uh, the first floor. The first floor has a wing that is called the Civil War Ring, which is the oldest part of the hospital. It is also sometimes referred to as the Veterans Area. Along um, a hallway on this floor was a patient named Ruth. How... Sorry, this isn't written very well. Um, not my writing, by the way. Someone else's. <laughs> Ruth, who, I think they were trying to say who, was violent towards men and would often throw things at them. I think they just misspelled a word because sometimes autocorrect does that. Um, a number of people have been pushed up against walls here and have heard whistling sounds emanating from down the hallway. People often encounter the ghost of Ruth along this hallway as well. On the second floor, um, in Ward 2, it was a general purpose ward, and further down was the men's ward. In Ward 2, very near a room where a man was stabbed 17 times by another patient. Fun. Shadowy figures have often been encountered. Just across the hall from this, two patients committed suicide by hanging themselves from certain curtain rods within a room. I guess they could be certain rods. A number of investigators have captured EVPs saying get out at this location and many will hear their names called out by the spirits. The third floor is where geriatrics was located. 
along with the nurses' quarters and auditorium, which once housed plays and movies, and also was the chapel for a time. It also hosted policeman balls in the past. I don't know why you'd want to host a policeman's ball there, but okay, everyone has their preference. The opposite hallway is where some of the most violent female patients were housed. In the past, individual isolation cells were where many were shackled to the floor, originally in chains and later in leather restraints because they decided to be nice. At the end of the isolation hallway is Dean's room where a patient almost hung by two other patients and when they noticed he was still moving, dragged him into the room, placed one end of the bed post on his head and both jumped on the bed until the post penetrated his skull, instantly killing him because they knew how to have fun. On the floor, nurses quarters, uh, doors closed by themselves, um, apparently this is from a tour guide, so a tour guide, Zach, even claimed to have seen an apparition of a nurse in the corridor to the left for a fleeting glimpse, and it greatly shook him at the time. In the geriatrics hallway, shadowy figures are encountered and many strange noises across the geriatrics where some of the most violent female patients were kept. That's a repeat. You didn't need to repeat that. People hear their names called out in disembodied screams in the distance along with footsteps. The ghost of Dean apparently haunts the rooms where he, his violent murder took place at the end of the isolation hallway. And a nurse named Elizabeth can sometimes be encountered here as well, at the end of the next hallway, where a ghost called Big Jim has been encountered and numerous EVPs have been caught. Apparently Big Jim is popular. I don't know why. The fourth floor hallway it was gutted by a fire in 1935 and they installed wooden floorboards instead of concrete. Along this hallway is Lily's room which is in Ward R. It is an especially creepy part of the building. Ward R located on this floor is perhaps the creepiest hallway in the entire hospital when it comes to feelings and sensations. This is where the ghost of Lily can sometimes be communicated with. Another investigation group was here taking photos when they captured a black blog. I'm gonna say blob was what they meant, which was indistinguishable. And when they asked their SB-7's ghost box what it was, I love the ghost box, the ghost box responded with demon. There is another weird apparition called a creeper that apparently crawls or slinks along the floor. The sounds of someone or something banging on pipes can often be heard, and ghosts of both Jesse and Andrew frequent this hallway. That was from Haunted Travel Travels USA.com, and it just had a really good, like, list of all of the hauntings that were said to be on all of the floors. Um, just a side note about uh, 
creeper like it keeps coming up and I've tried to research it I'll go more in depth and try harder but I haven't been able to find anything um, that really can can be considered a creeper or is there's no mention of a creeper per se it seems to be something that just uh, is slang i guess i don't know i'll look more into that um just because i want to know because it sounds interesting i think the birds want to be in the podcast they already are but they're talking now all right so you'll also have gurney's roll uh you'll get hysterical laughter and the ghosts have been reported to follow people home there is that demon which was mentioned earlier but more on that later because I say so and I'm in control that's a scary thing to have isn't it me in control anyway <laughs> we have some history on hauntings which I don't know how reputable it is um, as with most things uh, please take with a grain of salt just because um, you can't really, like everything is a person's perception and your perception is different and yada, 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 yada. Fancy, mystical, Ooh. Anyway, um, yeah, no, uh, just believe in yourself. Um, <laughs> now I'm getting self-helpy. Uh, I'm sorry for being weird. Um, okay, so we'll get started. It is said that things started getting weird early here based on its land, which on this particular site says is 666 acres by 666 acres. That's actually true because it can be verified. Though what I found wasn't that it was 666 by 666 acres. What I found was that it was 666 acres in total. Um, yeah. So if you don't know what that is, um, I was taught that it was the devil's number and that 999 was the angels or something to that effect, basically. Um, uh, different people have different um, like, perceptions of that, but it's basically 666 is bad, 999 is good. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted, to, I don't know what I wanted to add to that, but I felt like I needed a pause. Also, I found on a few sites, um, that they mention Masonic stuff. Um, they don't really say what this is on this particular site that I was using for information. They said, uh, like, my dog is chewing things. Sorry. They, I forget what it was. It was like, um, rituals, I think. But I'm not sure. Oh, it said it was cult formulas. I should have read further. <laughs> Which I don't know if true, if it's true. Because I don't know anything about 
Masonic anything. Uh, I, I don't. So I can't, like, say if they do stuff like that or not, or if they did. Um, anyway. Um, but it seems that what this, it, it's what this person in particular thinks caused the activity so early on. Uh, I will say that the 666 is weird because in our Western society, we go out of our way to avoid that number. Like, you will see no streets with that number. You won't see house numbers with that. You won't see phone numbers, most likely, with that. Or um, license plates. Like, it's hard to find. So it's odd. And that is to do with, I believe, the Catholic Church. Um, yeah. I might be wrong there, so don't quote me. Uh, I might be wrong about everything in life, so don't quote me on anything. Um, so it is odd. Um, but I would say, like, the number of people suffering here, and from the beginning pretty much, had more to do with the actual manifestations that are being said to be there than, at, like... Yeah, like the manifestation of activity than anything. And now we have our last story, because I say so again. I just like being in control today. And it is a haunting, uh, oh, I can't even read. A hospital's haunting history, Sunday, October 5th, 2008. It rose out of nowhere. If you hear, like, the scratching across the surface, that's my, like, a mouse, because I don't have a mouse pad and I need one. <laughs> it rose out of nowhere. The looming clock tower was like an apparition from some other place in time, and I risked wrecking my car to get a better look at the mammoth stone building atop which it stood. What was this place, and how could I get inside to get a closer look? What had been the spur of a moment side trip on back roads of West Virginia was about to get more than a little strange. Oh yeah, did I mention it was in West Virginia? Whoops, sorry. I think I said like West Idaho. That's not a thing. <laughs> it turns out to be the Weston State Hospital, an enormous mental hospital in Weston, West Virginia. Begun in 1858 and completed in 1882, it is now the Trans Alleny Lunatic Asylum, the moniker that doesn't sit well with advocates for the mentally impaired, and it was open for tours. As I was pulling out my credit card to pay for my tour, I did feel a momentary twinge of conscious. Was it ethical to play voyeur into a place where so many undoubtedly had suffered? Possibly not. But there was no way I was going to pass up the chance to see this unbelievable structure. Like a castle out of a storybook. The first patient was admitted in 1864. A female housekeeper from Iowa said to suffer from domestic troubles. The hospital closed in June 1994 and has stood empty for, since. For 14 years, the ghosts have had the place to themselves. They were free to wander. Two and a half miles of corridors and main buildings, they could slam any or all of its 906 doors. Actually, I hadn't even thought about the ghosts until I began reading the brochure the new owner supplied. 
In August 2007, the hospital was auctioned off to a Morgantown businessman who whose hope to turn the building and grounds into a resort. In the meantime, he has opened the hospital to the public and has become the favorite haunt of eager ghost hunters for the truly brave. Nighttime tours begin at 9 o'clock and end at 5 a.m. Doug Johnson was my to be my guide for my a daytime tour. A relaxed, affable guy with a wide grin, grin sandy bangs brushed, brushing his forehead. Doug had at one time been a, char a charge aide at the hospital and made a career in the field of mental health. There's just one tiny little thing. He looked remi remarkably like the demonic doll Chucky. Oh dear. As luck would have it, Doug and I had the place to ourselves that warm afternoon in the 200,000 square feet of corridors, treatment rooms, and patient quarters. There were the two of us and the quiet woman at the front desk who took my admission fee. Doug led me down the long, wide hallway past the room after tiny cell-like room, all while filling me in on the hospital's history. In the early days, it was not uncommon for a husband or a family to have a spouse or a relative committed for afflictions such as vague as cerebral softening, female disease, or novel reading. Political excitement, religious enthusiasm, and sedu seduction were also symptoms that could merit a few years or a lifetime of commitment. Or of confinement. Commitment, too. As we walked deeper in the build and deeper into the hospital, I learned from Doug that the building built on blue sandstone by Irish masons is believed to be the world's second largest hand-cut stone masonry building. The only other such building that is larger is the Kremlin. Doug's mobile lecture on the history of the treatment of the mental illness was riveting. Before the advent of psychotropic drugs, electric shock, and lobotomies were there virtually was no treatment other than behavior modification. He said patients who couldn't be controlled were often caged. It chilled my heart to picture the anguished children Doug described living in their cages for their own protection and for that of others. The state basically abandoned the building in 96, 1996, sorry, allowing nature free reign. The dozen years of rain moisture had taken an alarming tolls. The walls were crumbling, paint hangs from them and the ceiling like rags and shrouds long buried. The place was getting to me. Doug had taken the me to the furthest reaches of the hospital. No one knew where I was. My cell phone was in the car. He was telling me murder stories. People did die here, he empathized, and then proceeded to describe the death of one patient at the hands of two others. This time, he had reached the seclusion cells, which once housed violent criminals. Doug pointed out the thick metal ring embedded deep into the wall which the patients would have been shackled so the nurses could attend to him without fear of injury. He had me test the heavy metal mesh of the inner door by pushing against it with all my might. I couldn't budge it. And then he ever so slightly stepped aside, and it was clear from his stance that... I was meant to step inside, like the coolest blonde in all the slasher movies. I did. 
the door closed with all the finality of a coffin limb. Um, Doug? Doug? I'm feeling a little weird in here. I wouldn't say I burst out of the sug, sug cell when Doug opened the door after only a few seconds, but I wouldn't, wasn't wasting my time either. After three hours, we were back at the main entrance. I was blathering my thanks for a memorable tour and silently counting my lucky stars I had made it back with my sanity and carotid artery intact. Doug suggested I come back for a nighttime ghost hunt. Perhaps I'd see old Ruth, who trips the unwary. Jacob, an apparition from the Civil War, or an angry nurse who prowls the hall. Backing out, I thanked Doug one last time, wishing him thanks. You really have to be out of your mind to spend the night at the building. That was from the Washington Post. It is a well-written article. I enjoyed it. Um, it wasn't a haunting one, but it kind of gives you a feeling of how people feeling feel feeling feel uh, about being in the building. It's it's creepy apparently. Like it's unnerving to be there. All right. So for this haunting, I would say that. Originally, it probably had activity. I didn't go much into it, but it is, at this point, a major tourist attraction. Uh, so, I don't know how much it is anymore. Uh, I believe that using buildings like this as tourist attractions really, like, kind of kills the spirit and invites more negative ones to kind of break in. So I 100% think that the demonic haunting is possible and I would, yeah, like be wary of that. And there and it could possibly cause harm to people who go there. But then again, so many people go there that nothing could happen at all. They might be sucking the energy out of the place or they might, their energy, yeah, like, cause ghosts are notoriously shy. If you've ever heard that, apparently that's what they are. So having so many people just kind of infiltrate their home, you wouldn't really want to stay there, would you? Um, yeah. So I think it's a shame because I, I think it was probably uh, super haunted. I don't know if it is anymore. It could very well be. I haven't been there. Um, again, that's up to you to decide. I would be careful though because I would, if there's a mention of a demonic haunting, I would say there's probably caution to be had. Um, yeah. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode next week. Uh, who knows? I'm thinking Canada because... Woo! <laughs> Canada! <laughs> I don't know. Or international. Uh, maybe Vlad's castle because who doesn't like heads on spikes? Um, I'm not really sure. If you want to give me ideas, as always... Please do. Um, I don't know. Amaz you're amazing for sticking uh, through this with me. 
and I hope you enjoyed at least a little. As always, you can make suggestions, comments, questions, or concerns to at MindlessDWH on Twitter, or you can hit my Facebook page, which is the same as the title of this podcast, which is Spooky Scary Fun Time, if I got that right, which I hope I did, because it is mine. And uh, once again, you rock, and stay spooky.